Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Uh, for today's podcast, we're kindly joined once more by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Hi, Jonathan. Good to be back. So, Alan, I think uh, it would be appropriate uh, to discuss uh, and just touch on briefly uh, the now defunct, to some extent, uh, European Super League. It's been dominating news for uh, the last 72 hours. We've just seen um, very recently this morning and and last night uh, the six English clubs pulling out of the the European Super League, which um, basically puts uh, an end to it. But Alan, you know, there's ramifications here. Um, you know, not only for for fans, um, but I mean, the overall model of sports here in the UK. I mean, when I was looking at what was happening there, one thing that I did dislike about it very much um, was it was moving towards this American style of of uh, of sports and the way that they organised their their leagues over there. Of course, a lot of the owners um, of the clubs involved uh, are Americans. They probably thought it, it was it was okay and something that could be done. Of course, there was a massive backlash there for um, from the the fans. But I mean, what's your views on it, Alan, in terms of what it could mean for you know football here in the UK going forward? I mean, do, does this spark um, a revolution uh, that goes in the, in the favour of, of fans, or or is this a um, the beginning of a process where we start to see a move towards uh, an American style of sports, but maybe not as dramatically um, as was proposed by the European Super League. Well, I think the great thing that's come out of this, uh, and um, you know, lots of people have been talking about this, is the fact that um, you've got fans of clubs that have been rivals for generations, um, and old memorabilia in the house, you know, your father was a Spurs fan or whatever, or Liverpool fan. I mean, I'm a Spurs fan, as everyone knows, and I've been receiving some fantastic memes about Spurs briefly being champions of the Super League, and there's a DVD available already. It's uh, it's ridiculous. But but that's the thing. You've got generations of fans, and these these out-of-touch billionaires running these clubs uh, from, from afar have no concept or understanding of that. I mean, for, for heaven's sake, we invented the game. You know, the, the, the game started years ago with teams like Preston North End and Blackburn Rovers um, being put together by mill owners. And football was originally a game for the elite, uh, for, for the elites. And it was it was the first FA Cup that brought a working man's club and an elite team together at Eton um, that actually uh, formed the basis for the uh, for the league uh, that we know today. So. Uh, and of course, it's all made up of fans. So these these billionaire owners have, I mean, they're so misinformed. It's astonishing that it got as far as it did without anyone knowing about it, but also without any consultation. Um, and the great thing is we've seen the power of fans come together. Um, and of course, I, I think in Germany, a lot of clubs there are at least 49% owned by, by the fans or 50% owned by the fans. So, uh, you know, the fans do have a say in how things are run. So I think we could see we could see um, possibly a greater ownership um, of, uh, um, made available to fans going forward. Um, certainly, I think... Those that care about their clubs will redouble their efforts now. Um, uh, but 
equally the the owners of these clubs. I mean, particularly that odious Glazer fellow who runs Man United. Um, I don't think he dare show his face again because he was set to be the vice president of the Super League. But um, it's there's still plenty of money in the Premier League as it is. There's still plenty of money in these clubs. And all of the clubs in the low leagues have said that they they want these big clubs still to be part of it. Because when it comes to the FA, club, FA Cup, for the chance for a, a local club, a local football team to take on a giant and to receive a percentage of that gate, that money can change the club's fortunes for, 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 for years and years. And that's the beauty of our league and our system. And I'm so glad that um, that basically people power and fan power kick these billionaires um, into touch. Indeed. And as a Liverpool fan, very happy to, to see that the market taking out their frustrations on Manchester United shares uh, <laughs> now, now given up all of the gains that they saw earlier in the week when it was first announced. So um, market forces at play there. Um, a, a good result in in my view there if we're looking at how the markets played out and of course Ju- Juventus another club saw their shares soar yeah. on uh, on Monday I think they've come crashing back down uh, as well as the as these plans are, are shelved so it, it is going to be interesting to see how how this develops um, and what it means for for competitions and obviously the debate going forward on football as a whole, how it's run, how the money's distributed. Yep. Um, it, it, it's due some change. I mean, if you look at the losses that some of these class clubs have uh, have run up, particularly in, in Europe and, and you know some of the drivers, uh, the main drivers of this competition were clubs such as Real Madrid that, of course, are, are in some financial difficulties. Yep. You know, a, a competition such as this would have got them out um, quite easily of those problems. But, yeah, I... I, I, I I think that's that's a very good point, actually, Jonathan. I mean, a lot of the clubs have taken that move because obviously with COVID, um, they've not had the gate revenue uh, that they would otherwise have had. So they've had to cover that. But, um, but of course, when you've got billionaires owning clubs, um, that sort of money means you can sustain losses for uh, not an indefinite period of time, but certainly a, a great length of time. Um, so... Uh, I wouldn't say there's a, lot, a great deal of sympathy around about these clubs being on the buffers financially, but there will always be some financial uh, structure that can be put in place or that, that can be put together that will sort these clubs out. And um, and I think what we've seen with the reaction from the fans, possibly um, a fundraising, a fundraising for the clubs, um, uh, which the fans can participate in, um, that would I think appeal to a lot of people right now. Yes, I mean this concept of uh, you know clubs having some uh, fans having some ownership of, of clubs as they do in Germany certainly a, an interesting model. But it's going to be mm. uh, a uh, I mean it'd be some big changes needed for that to be uh, you know become a reality here here in in the UK. So yes, certainly a historic uh, few days for English football and uh, European football. So I'd be interested to see how that plays out for the the rest of the week and uh, the response from other clubs here in, in England and, and what they're going to say on, on plans going forward. So, Alan, that's, let's move on to markets now. FTSE 100, as all of this was kicking off with the European Super League, uh, in the background had a, had a pretty torrid start to the week. Uh, we, we've... Uh, 
Um, flattened out today uh, to some extent on the FTSE 100. We're, we're relatively flat. We've uh, we stopped the declines. Uh, but but what's quite interesting about this, Alan, and I'm going to make some links to a topic that we've discussed in some detail on recent podcasts uh, with cryptos, NFTs, uh, of course, the IPO of Coinbase that we saw over the weekend quite a sharp decline in, in cryptocurrencies, obviously yeah. the biggest of those being, being Bitcoin. Now, that seemed to spill over into equity markets when we opened up on Monday. I mean, my views would be that you know some of the, the market forces and, and thoughts of investors that drove up assets such as Bitcoin uh, to, to you know, all-time highs, you know, we're obviously looking at and a Bitcoin around that 64,000 level before it, it dropped up. An element of that speculation was evident in equity markets. And, mm. and do you feel, Alan, that there was um, uh, that correlation due to equity markets being bid up um, to levels that weren't sustainable in, in the short term? And as people start, start to see uh, you know, cryptocurrencies uh, fall, that there was an element of fear that um, maybe there is an overdone element of speculation in financial markets generally. I think that's a very fair comment, Jonathan. And also, of course, we're coming up to May and the old stock market saying go away in May uh, looks looks as though it could well play out again this year. Um, and certainly we're seeing uh, just looking at, uh, you know, I, I have a, a screen with a portfolio of stocks on there and um, largely a sea of red again today, um, e- even though even though we're seeing some sort of decent performances here and there. Most most of the most of the stocks are you know trading flat or are slightly underwater. Um, and after the initial burst this morning, the FTSE has come back. But um, but yeah, I think I think there has certainly the the strength of cryptocurrency and of course the amount of people involved investing into it now. Um, a lot of investors have crypto portfolios as well, um, which are of course highly volatile. So, uh, when one one when one aspect of your portfolio takes a battering, I think I think a lot of investors look anxiously across the portfolio and make maybe take some decisions to take some money off the table. Um, so, th- th- there's certainly that at play, and of course the fact that now with Coinbase in the market, um, the and other other IPOs and one stock we're going to talk about this morning are in the market. Um, if, if those stocks retrace, then there's a clear correlation there, um, uh, which of course there has been with with the with the pullback in Bitcoin and, and, and Ether. Yes, yes. I mean, we've discussed uh, cryptocurrencies in some detail in recent podcasts. We won't go too much into it now, but my view would be uh, that when you're looking at some of these uh, cryptocurrencies. You know, as you mentioned there, a lot of people will now hold portfolios of cryptocurrencies as well as shares. That that wide adoption uh, means that there is such a significant number of people in the market already uh, that it's difficult to see um, how this now takes the next leg higher uh, without any major changes to the fundamentals, whether that being regulations, um, because we have the adoption now. It's a widely adopted uh, asset class investment banks are now getting involved when they previously said that they were not. Um, so we're really awaiting uh, the next catalyst to see 
a next leg higher in cryptos, or I think we could probably see it trade uh, trade sideways in the short term. And I'm sure when we do start to see some movement again, Alan will uh, will discuss the price movements there. But let's let's stay on the theme of cryptos with our first share that we're going to discuss today. Coincilium, we've touched on it previously, Alan. But what's the latest update from them? So Coincilium, um, I, I'll just I'll just briefly summarise their, their their sort of history. Um, it's an aqueous trader stock, of course, and the stock is also traded on the OTC market, uh, uh, um, the OTC venture market in, in the US. Um, Coincilium, um, the epic code is COIN and the US epic code is CINGF. Um, first ever um, blockchain IPO on the aqueous markets all the way back in 2015. So it's been around for six years and was originally uh, an investor into blockchain projects, um, um, many of which it, it saw a successful exit from. I'm not going to go into details about that because really it's largely irrelevant um, given where where the company is today. But suffice to say, the company moved its operations to Gibraltar. Um, of course, Malcolm Pally, uh, um, uh, one of the founders and the chairman of the company, has been very much at the helm. And along with Eddie Travia, who's... Um, Who's a very well respected uh, uh, blockchain and uh, and and financial entrepreneur um, operating out, out, out of the Middle East? Um, so, so the the company moved to Gibraltar um, and then uh, undertook a strategic review and effectively pivoted last year um, to, uh, to to become a new what it, what it term, now terms as an open finance and crypto finance uh, um, operator and uh, and developer of projects. So one of the companies uh, um, it works with um, it, it's uh, in the process of putting together a joint venture with a company called Indorse, I-N-D-O-R-S-E. Um, and this is in preparation for a series of projects um, that it will undertake in the non-fungible token space, NFTs. And of course, we've spoken at length about non-fungible tokens, but um, I think everyone's uh, by now will be fully aware of these as um, as both uh, investment and speculative opportunities. And in fact, we saw NFT Holdings come to market last week, which is a company that invests purely into NFTs. So this is a, a huge burgeoning marketplace. Um, and over the year, um, Coincilium have have uh, developed the the relationship. They uh, they have a, a a deal which is being launched in May, uh, where they're working with um, the Gibraltar Philatelic Agency, and um, the the company are, um, are 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 developing an NFT element to a limited edition uh, uh, postage stamp. And um, th- this stamp is uh, this stamp is is uh, a, a limited edition run some hundred hundred thousand and coincidentally will be able to offer these uh, the nft with it um in in a, in a range of um uh, availabilities as such so you've got common uncommon rare ultra rare and then there are just two mythic rare N- nfts now these are retailing at 695 each so so this is uh, it's clearly not a huge money earner for coincidentally but nonetheless it's uh it's um it moves on the um, the association of a digital with a physical asset um, in the form of, of an NFT. Um, 
From its previous investments, Coincilium have also regularly updated the market on the value of its, of its crypto assets, and it holds a number of assets, both in Bitcoin, Ethereum, and also in Rift tokens. Um, and uh, the uh, part of what the um, operation in Gibraltar will develop is um, effectively a bridge. So uh, Bitcoin, uh, people holding Bitcoin, uh, can bridge in and buy uh, non-fungible tokens directly. Um, currently, the NFTs are traded using Ethereum uh, on the Ethereum platform with the smart contracts that are available. But the uh, the Coincilium joint venture is developing um, a bridge for that. So so the the, the purchases can be undertaken uh, via Bitcoin using a smart contract bridge. One of the key uh, uh, issues with um, uh, NFTs is their security, and when we've put stuff up, up when we've discussed and uh, put uh, information out about NFTs in the past, I've had quite a few comments on some of the threads that uh, uh, on Twitter and also on LinkedIn from people saying, "Well, you know, um, how do you legally prove an NFT is yours?" And this is one of the key issues. Of course, if it's out there in the digital market, it's very hard to prove. And Coincilium have today uh, announced um, that uh, they they are the the, the release uh, with um, the the with their joint joint venture partner Endorse of Nifty Scanner, and what Nifty Scanner is it's a it's a digital anal analysis software solution for non fungible tokens, um, and what it effectively does, um, as Jonathan you're aware of the OpenSea platform, you will now see uh, the Nifty Scanner. Um, uh, 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 alongside um, the asset that's up for sale. And what, what it does, it uh, basically provides um, uh, essential background information on how and where the assets, and that's the media, and of course the metadata associated with that NFT are stored. So so it's, um, it, it's basically uh, all about proof of ownership, which has been one of the, the, the key fundamental underlying issues with these tokens, and I think at a stroke, um, you know, th this for Coincilium and Endorse is going to be absolutely huge because uh, probably, um, although many people are getting involved with NFTs at the moment, um, I, I have spoken to a number of people who are just looking at it from afar and thinking, well, how can I prove it's mine? Well, this is a step in that direction, and I'm sure we'll see further developments uh, in line with that. But for Coincilium, um, trading on Aquis, I mean, the, the, the company's had a phenomenal few months. Shares have been as high as 34, 35p, currently trading at about 13.5p at the moment. But um, but uh, that gives the company a market capitalization of around uh, well, just under 20 million sterling. But given where some of the companies involved in this space are going now, I think there's every every possibility we could see the company push back to year highs, particularly on the back of this news, which of course is absolutely huge. Yes, a very intriguing story there in terms of the NFTs and, and, and the, the underlying technology, as you outlined there, Alan, there still needs to be some changes that brings it up the confidence uh, in this. But, you know, just reading... Uh, you know some some of the reports and some of the activity within this this market. Uh, you know, in its very early stages, there could be just like the rest of blockchain, a number of real world applications as opposed to just um, short term speculation that we're seeing uh, in this market to some extent at the moment. Uh, but as these technologies are applied to you know real world 
situations and 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 solving problems companies like Cornicillium that are at the forefront of it uh do potentially have uh, a bright future there so uh, i'm sure this is a subject that we're going to update the listeners on as we as we hear more and in particular companies such as Coincilium that are listed here in London that are innovators within the uh, the sector so Alan let, let's now move on now to uh, some somewhat more traditional uh, assets uh, in the base and precious metal deposits and, and in this case of Cavango resources uh, these deposits are in Botswana. What's the, the latest update from them? Okay, so Kavanga Resources, upper code KAV, shares currently at uh, trading at 3.2p, gives it a market cap of around 11 million. So there's, so, you know, very modestly valued. Uh, I think you'll agree, uh, given the, the asset base I'm about to, to, to cover. Um so Kavango is, uh, as you say, based in Botswana, has three key projects there. Um, I'm going to do them in, in, in descending order. So we have the Ditao Camp project, which is site in southern Botswana, which is prospective for rare earth metals, uh, neodymium and presidium, which of course are used in batteries. This is uh, currently being developed. The Kalahari Copper Belt, which is, um, which is a, a joint venture that they're working on with Power Metal Resources, of course, that's uh, that's Paul Paul Johnson and his team, um, and this is on the Ganzi Ridge uh, in Western Botswana, where there are uh, numerous sedimentary copper deposits. Um, the company also has in that area a joint venture with LVR Geo Explorers on two licenses, and um, it's that they that they're fast developing, um, having undertaken aeromag surveys on the on both on the South Ganzi. Uh, joint venture with Power Metals and the LVR Geo Explorers uh, region back in February this year. Um, so that that's the Kalahari uh, Copper Belt um, um, area. But the the key asset for Kavango is the Kalahari Suta Zone, and this is also in the southwest west of the country, and it's a vast area, some eight and a half thousand square kilometers, um, prospective for copper, nickel, and platinum group metals. Um, now, Kavango has spent the past year um, analysing and modelling this asset. Um, uh, uh, when I say modelling, um, they've they've undertaken this route because the there's there's a they, they've noticed uh, a numerous similar similarities with a uh, the, the Norilsk mine in Siberia, which is a huge nickel mine produces. 90% of Russia's nickel, 50 uh, over 50% of its copper and it's a, it's a huge contributor to 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 uh, to world nickel production. Um, I think some 10% of the world's nickel is comes from the Norilsk mine. And this is this is basically a huge vast underground geological anomaly formed millions and millions of years ago when uh, the magma came up through the crust and and various um, uh, Various uh, metals were compressed into pockets uh, that, uh, that 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 were later identified, um, and of course, with modern aerial uh, survey techniques, um, uh, the 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 the, uh, the, um, the 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 survey teams seek or look out for these geological anomalies, which are picked up uh, through conductivity. So, um, an electrical pulse. Uh, identifies the conductivity of these areas and it can be modeled out accordingly. And 
a significant step forward yesterday when the company announced that um, that the uh, the uh, the Aeromag survey that had been undertaken at the northern part, uh, end of this huge asset in Hukunsi in in Botswana um, had identified a geological anomaly, a large conductive body, some two hundred and fifty to seven hundred meters from the surface, um, and. Uh, what is particularly of note is that this conductive body is almost matches exactly the company's 3D model that you can actually go and see on the website. So this is hugely exciting, and um, uh, obviously the the, the company um, are now going to progress this and uh, and and take next steps. But it was undertaken by a company with whom they have a partnership, Spect- Spectral uh, um, uh, Geophysics. Um, and uh, the, the work will now they'll be undertaken to progress this and get a better understanding of of, of the um, of the actual context of the geological anomaly, and will probably lead to some some drilling activity uh, later this year. But nonetheless, if if this discovery does lead to um, a mine on the scale of the Norilsk mine, uh, it's going to absolutely dwarf probably any other discovery in Africa in recent years. It is absolutely huge, this thing. And uh, certainly Michael Foster, who's the chief executive, formerly worked with De Beers and Reunion Mining. So, you know, an industry veteran, very well respected. They they have potentially a huge find on their hands. Um, and I think shareholders, you know, holding stock at this level should be very excited. So, Alan, just to touch on Kavango here in terms of the timeline, investors obviously they can go and do some research on the website and have a look at that, you know the operations and and projects that they have working on. But in your view, what what's the next bit of key news and news flow that investors should be looking out for from Kavango? Okay, so well, the company actually uh, put next steps up on the announcement yesterday. So, just just give you an idea of the development in the timeline. It um, uh, the the company said it identified uh, the Nerus style target areas at Hokunsi back in at the end of November last year. So, you know, about about four about five months ago, um, and then started w- working on the orientation work before completing the. The survey, and obviously with the most recent survey, identifying the conductor. So the next steps are the the that conductor is going to be resurveyed uh, on other survey lines uh, with another TDM loop to obtain further confirmation, um, and um, uh, that should be completed before the end of June. And uh, after that, uh, any further conductors will be followed up with um, with exploration loops loops. Prior to um, prior to uh, d- doing on the ground assessments, and of course the next step being drilling. So I think really by uh, mid summer we'll have a very good picture of just ha- of the extent of this anomaly at the Hakunsi area, and then obviously after that we'll have the the news on when the drilling is going to take place and so on. But with this sort of conductivity, um, the, uh, you know, this is the exciting thing with modern mining techniques that. When you identify something like this, you can get it pretty accurately. So when the drill goes in the ground, you'll be right on top of it. And, you know, 90 percent of the time, uh, you know, we should see some some really interesting soil, uh, some really interesting core samples coming out of the ground. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Alan. And and definitely one that uh, the investors should have uh, have a look at. Of course, it's more towards the more speculative and high risk 
uh, of, of equities that are listed here in London, but certainly some exciting prospects there uh, to, to have a look at. Now, Alan, let's bring things a little bit closer to home, still staying within the commodities sector, but we're going to be looking now at hydrocarbons and Union Jack Oil, one we've touched on previously, but what's the, been the latest from them? Well, Union Jack Oil have had a very uh, a, a very progressive year thus far, and um, uh, I, I know David Bramwell very well, and uh, he's a he's a very he's a very uh, um, um, entrepreneurial and uh, and engaging uh, fellow, and tons of energy, uh, and he's uh, when he talks about when he talks about the the projects that they're working on, you can't help but become enthused by it. He's 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 a he's a great leader of of this company, but um, there's been a lot of Fundamental development that's really underscored the the big increase in uh, you know f- uh, from investors um, and, and the progress from the company this year and of course you know back in March the shares were trading sort of below thirty p and we saw we we've seen the shares really pop higher since that time so as you rightly say they're based in the UK so if you go up to the Humber Bridge a lot of the activity will be based uh, onshore. Um, uh, around that area, uh, that's the the West Newton project, the Wrestle project, Biscothorpe, Keddington, and so on. So it, it's in it's up there in in the northeast. Um, with these different projects, they're all at various stages. Um, uh, with West Newton, there's a sixteen point six percent interest um, with the operator, and there you have Rathal Energy and Rebuild Resources, both um, other partners and operators on the project. Uh, the Russell project, which uh, um, Union Jack owns forty percent of, um, the Biscothorpe project, which uh, uh, Union Jack has forty five percent of, and the Keddington uh, and North Kelsey projects, which uh, are fifty five percent and fifty percent respectively. So the, you can see the news flow from the company this, this year on those. But um, West Newton is. Is one which looks as as though it could be potentially huge. And David had spoken on these. I in fact interviewed David earlier this year, and he spoke about the size of the uh, the size of the, uh, uh, the prospect. There, um, they've they've surveyed uh, extends some two and a half kilometres west to east, but they believe north to south is is a much bigger area. So this could be absolutely huge. So. Um, they have undergone consultation uh, with with the, the local population. There's a very good website which uh, shows the various stages the project will go through. Um, and most recently, they 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 announced that um, the company had uh, completed casehole logging programs and vertical seismic profiling on one of the wells there. Um, and the world was well; it was well secured, and basically, uh, uh, well testing operations would be commencing next month. That'll take about four weeks, um, and uh, that's that. That will complete the testing on the first well. Then WNA two will commence after that. Um, so, I think, I, I think in terms of uh, the time frame, time frame, probably two to two and a half months, we'll get a pretty good picture of uh, from the company of the next steps uh and getting all out of the ground and 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 taking taking uh t- taking the project forward um so those are the that's a very big very sort of brief summary of the activities in the northeast of england but um uh, union jack broadened its uh its revenue base uh, um, early this year by announcing some the purchase of some royalty interests in the north sea at uh 
at Scapa and and uh, and offshore. It's buying into these licenses. Um, it'll get uh, it'll get uh, um, a, a a decent return over the next few years, and it'll provide. It's like investing into in, into a fund which which pays an income, and um, the company will get this uh, get this money paid regularly back to them. Um, and it's a very tax efficient way to do it. So it's cash generative. They make good use of the the cash that they have uh, um, um, on their on their their account at present. Um, and I think uh, over the next few weeks, we're going to see further developments, more information out there about the company um, and the development of, of the project. So it's at a very exciting juncture. And of course, we've spoken as well about these other small operate oil operators. Um, uh, you know, all seems oil's made a big bounce back since last year. And of course, it's still, despite the emergence of the electrical uh, revolution and uh, the EV industry, still very much a key part of everyday life and will continue uh, to be so for some time to come. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting point that you bring up there with, with you know, ESG and, and, and EVs. I mean, a company like this, which is which is operating here in the UK, I mean, does that sort of throw up some potential problems for them um, going forward? You know, first of all, from, you know, an, an investor's perspective, as, as people start to shift towards, um, you know, sustainable investments, um, you know, re- renewable energy investments. Do you, do you feel that companies such as um, Union Jack Oil, um, you know, start to feel the pinch as investors start to shun uh, you know, hydrocarbon and, and fossil fuel companies? Is, is that something that the investors could be concerned about? Well, well, what uh, I mean, it's the point he made there, John, John about uh, about investors shunning them. I think. Um, certainly, whenever whenever Union Jack Oil put out an announcement, um, they they have such a following, um, uh, and and the, the response and the the reactions to that that we see certainly online, um, I, they're certainly bigger than most of our other clients. So I think there's still an awful lot of investor interest in this area. But of course, um, given they're drilling in the UK, given that they're onshore. Of course, the steps they have to go through, and that's working with the local councils. There was an issue with the with with the wrestle project in that regard, which is now sorted. And of course, all the safety steps and the the steps on cleanliness that they have to to go through when they're drilling in uh, an area of um, an area of, of of outstanding natural beauty, they have to take steps to protect the environment and make sure that when the stuff comes out of the ground, not a drop of it gets spilled or can contaminate the environment. Um, and certainly, if you go to the uh, the new Union Jack website uh, the, or, or the Union Jack Oil website, um, you'll see lots of pictures on the website um, about how they approach this, both with uh, West Newton and, and and the other and the other the other wells that, that, that they they have developed. So um, you know, it, it's a it's an exciting process. Uh, it's a complicated process, but um, Union Jack Oil. Um, the, the, both David Bramer and also Graham Bull, his, uh, his his technical officer, they're both industry veterans and they understand what's required and and they certainly deliver. And certainly, judging by what we've seen this year from shareholders in the company, they're absolutely enthused by the possibilities and the and the outlook for the future. Indeed, indeed. I mean, just looking at the project, sir. Um, you know, of course, said that there's a shift towards. You know ESG, but as you said, th- these companies here, there there is an inherent value if they're able 
to unlock those projects and you know really get them them moving and start to get the oil flowing. Um, of course, uh, you know the, the the value there will keep investors interested in in companies uh, such as this. So. Um, fantastic. Thank you very much, um, Alan. So we're just going to have a quick recap now on the on the companies that we discussed today. There was Kavango Resources uh, that trades under the ticker of KAV. Coincilium trades under the ticker of COIN. And just then was Union Jack Oil, which trades under the ticker of UJO. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thank you, Jonathan. So ju- just as a, just a reminder to everybody that didn't make the UK Investor Magazine virtual conference yesterday, uh, the videos of the companies that have uh, that presented are going to be published on the UK Investor Magazine very shortly. So do check those out. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.